Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful who have gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Several years ago in a galaxy far, far away, I uh, began to discern that I felt like I might have a call to ordained ministry. It was years ago, in the late 1980s and early 90s, and I was quite conflicted about it. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get my mind around that God would call me to this important work. It just didn't make sense. And my sororities would have told you so too. My sorority sisters would have told you so too. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I mean, I, you know, my age, I, I was older. I had a great, well-paying job with my very own parking place at Texas A&M University, which was more important than the well-paying job, actually. And um, it was just being overwhelmed by this sense of God calling me. So I went to this program at Perkins School of Theology at SMU uh, called Inside Perkins. And it was a weekend where you got to go and go to some classes, which were really interesting to me. And you know what was best about it is the, the professors prayed before we had class. Oh my God. You know, literally, oh my God. So, um, we did that, and you got to meet with some students, and you got to have meals together, and go to chapel, and meet with some professors. And because I was United Methodist at the time, they had this one special meeting uh, for people who were United Methodist to meet with the bishops. Ooh, I mean, you know, to meet with the bishops, the holy people. And uh, I remember being in the parlor of the seminary and interacting with these bishops, and I started talking to one of them and told him about my anxieties about going to seminary, the cost, you know, I'm older, you know, and I'm not sure about this call thing. And he said, well, listen, you're going to turn 40 one way or the other. So you might as well do it, turn 40 doing what you want to do. And, oh, by the way, come on in. The water's just fine. Well, I guess you know the end of the story. I did go to seminary at Perkins School of Theology, and the water was fine. I uh, think about that today on this Baptism Sunday. Um, Funny, isn't it, that just a couple of weeks ago we celebrated Jesus' birth, and then last Sunday we remembered the visitation of the Magi to the child Jesus that many scholars believe was probably at, at least two years old when they arrived. And, you know, that's kind of like our everyday soap operas, right? You know, in the soap operas, somebody has a baby, and then by the next year they're adults right? Well, that's kind of where we are with Jesus today. Jesus today is fully grown and, um, you know, uh, is on the way to be baptized. 
And as much as many of our churches and denominations uh, want to argue about what age somebody has to be in order to be baptized or how much water to use to be really baptized, and as often as Christians forget that so many faith traditions have water rituals, and, and as you know, including our Jewish siblings, who, as evidenced by the ministry of John the Baptist, had a long history of water baptism or water rituals and baptism. Mainly, they did it for Gentiles like us who wanted to become Jewish. Now, what's interesting is that the bottom line is that in our Christian baptism tradition is the invitation to come on in. The water is just fine. Come on into a deep relationship with God. Come on into a deep relationship with other people and with all of creation. And come on into an ever deepening understanding of your unique, beloved personhood. Come on in, the water's just fine. And whether you were baptized in a, as an infant or as a child by sprinkling, or whether, uh, and, and you can only remember your baptism through the collective uh, memory of the church, or whether you were baptized as a youth or an adult and have an organic remembrance of your baptism, whether you always thought that baptism was solely for the forgiveness of sins and being saved from hell, fire insurance, uh, or whether you have always thought that it was not so much about what you did or said, but what God has done and continues to do in your life. Well, however you come at this thing called baptism, the bottom line is that baptism into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ is a sacrament. It's a sacred moment that in some kind of mysterious way, unknowable intellectually, but knowable spiritually, changes us in some way that we don't even understand and probably sometimes don't even experience until various different times in our lives. You know, um, it, it changes us at a minimum, transformed by word and work of God in our lives and in the world. So today, I won't be able, I, I know you'll be so disappointed by this, but I won't be able to answer all your questions about baptism today in my sermon. And you probably ought to be glad for that because we'd be here for till dinner time. But uh, I do want um, to say that, that baptism, like so much else, is a mystery. And perhaps looking at today's gospel lesson, we can, like water skimmers, simply gliding along the smooth facade of our lives, as Tom Schumann said in his poem, drifting along just below the surface of the water, we can get hooked and pulled into the heart of God by looking at Jesus' own baptism. Now, our reading this morning tells us that John the Baptist is in the wilderness preaching baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That's where we get that, by the way. The difference between John's baptism and the historic understanding of Gentiles being baptized in order to be washed clean and enter into new Jewish life is that John said that everybody's got to do this. Not, not just Gentiles, but, oh, by the way, all you religious people, you need to do this too. 
because this is about a new way of being in the world. Now, the religious authorities took great offense at him because of that, because they followed all the laws. They followed all the rules. They knew they were righteous, right? But John says, well, you need to do this. You need to be baptized, washed by this water, and lead transformed lives. John also preaches and tells about one who will come after him who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You think about Pentecost and what happened there. The Holy Spirit arrived with fire, right? John speaks of the winnowing fork in that one's hand who is separating the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff will be cast into eternal, unquenchable fire, and that scared the Jesus out of everybody for the last 2,000-plus years. Well... What if that's not what it meant? What if we always thought that if we didn't behave well enough, if we didn't do all the right things, say all the right things, be the perfect people that we really want to be, if we fail and all of that, we'd be cast like the chaff into the unquenchable fire. I mean, think, uh, you know, the winnowing fork, the sheep and the goats, the sermon that Jesus preaches later. You know, um, but this interpretation of John's sermon might be wrong. What if Jesus comes to gather us all up, like the wheat on the threshing floor, and to winnow, winnow out the worst parts of us, to sift out our worst selves, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through the fire of the Holy Spirit, to cleanse us, that it is a cleansing fire, not a destroying fire. And just as the waters of our baptism cleanse us and we are able to enter into the fullness of life with God, we get to do that free and clear if this is what the real interpretation of that sermon means. Now, Matthew tells a story that Jesus did not get baptized without having an argument with John, right? We heard that today. When Jesus appears at the Jordan River, John the Baptist says, what are you doing here? It was a silly question. Jesus was there along with everybody else to be baptized. And John says, sorry, but you are not baptizing me. But Jesus insists saying, we must do this because it will fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus was baptized to show us a way into a new righteousness. Now, on our Wednesday night book study, last Wednesday, we had a big discussion about what righteousness means. So I'm going to try to get into that a little bit today. You see, um, this is not a righteousness of crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's to win God's love so that we wouldn't be thrown into the unquenchable fire. That's not what this is about. Not the righteousness of sticking to all the rules and doing things absolutely right and perfect, perfectly because at some time or other, we're all going to miss the mark, which is really what sin is, missing the mark. Later, Jesus will say, seek first God's realm and God's righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. We picked that for our forming scripture at New Church, and there's a reason for that. Because righteousness is not about behavior. It's about who we are. I'll talk a little bit about, more about that in a minute. And notice that Jesus says, seek 
Jesus doesn't say, be righteous. Jesus says, seek first God's realm and righteousness. So it's about a process as a journey, not a doing. So then what does righteousness mean in Jesus' eyes? Well, righteousness of which Jesus speaks has to do with making ourselves available to God, being open to encountering God. In baptism, baptism, our Christian understanding is that God has already embraced us in the love of Christ and said, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. Before we do or say anything, we are truly righteous when we present ourselves among a long line of sinners who all have missed the mark, which we all have, when we have strayed away from God, turned away from God, others and our own best selves, when we hunger for God's mercy and welcome God's presence and help, when we come to know, as many do in the 12-step programs, that we cannot save ourselves. And the beauty that God has already done that work in us and the beauty of Jesus' baptism is that he gets right in line with us. Now, a lot of people want to argue about why Jesus was baptized if he was, quote, without sin. Well, they've been arguing that since Paul was walking the face of the earth. I mean, the sinless doctrine was implied in the writings of Paul, and the church developed a doctrine of it well after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And yes, Jesus is, the I mean, for many of us, the most perfect, near-perfect person we have known. But Jesus, as our faith understands it, was not only fully divine, but was fully human. And if it's fully human, I mean, it's like us. Hard to believe, isn't it? Jesus' participation in baptism is not so much about whether he needed it or not, but that he shared fully with us this life. His participation was to reveal a new righteousness that was not about rules and laws, but about relationships. That Jesus reveals his true nature of being one with God and one with us in this baptism. And the descending dove, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and the voice of God proclaiming Jesus' belovedness was then not just meant for Jesus, because you, you are fully divine. You are fully human. We all carry those gifts in us. Well, those who take our Christian faith seriously often uh, are concerned if baptism actually means anything. I mean, after all, many people who are baptized can be nasty people, you know, and often grow up to be not very nice human beings. In her book, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor writes about her own observations about humanity, even baptized humanity, when she writes, I have an easier time loving humankind than loving particular human beings. Particular human beings who hug my bumper in rush hour traffic. Particular human beings who drop my carefully selected portobello mushrooms into the bottom of my grocery bag and toss cans of beans on top of them. Particular human beings who talk on their cell phones when I'm having a quiet lunch, talk on their cell phones when I am waiting to pay for them for my gas, and talk on their cell phones when I am trying to step past them on the sidewalk. So then what does baptism mean? 
Well, perhaps it means that God claims us through the water and the word. God's words and Jesus as the word, the logos. God announces our citizenship in a new dominion before we even know it or realize it. God gathers us up in love that precedes all human relationships and family ties and family of choice. Baptism is a sign that we belong to God. And if that is so, then every baptism is a mystical moment, a sacred moment, a sacramental moment, when we live into that reality. So then, the grace of the gospel is this. Then and now. He's getting baptized in April, by the way. On Wednesday night at our weekly New Church Books Club, we talked about this text, and Reverend Nan Baker reminded us about what is most important about remembering our baptisms. It's not about our behavior. It's about our nature. In short, we are made in the imago dei, the image and likeness of God. And we're that likeness is revealed in Jesus Christ and, and dwelling in us and between us and among us and beyond us as the Holy Spirit. As we participate in baptism and promise to support our children, youth, and adults as they enter into new righteousness, we participate in this sacrament that reminds us of God's inbreaking into our world and God's indwelling in us. The great Protestant preacher Fred Craddock once invited to preach was once invited to preach at Ebenezer Baptist Church, the church of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He had, in that worship service, moved to the pulpit, set out his text, and the pastor began to sing. And then the associates started singing, and then the musicians started playing their instruments, and the piano and the organ got in, and the drums started, you know, Mel, and the people started singing, and Fred Craddock says, I'm standing up there with Mark in front of me, waiting, and then suddenly I realized I'm the one up front. I'm the leader of this, so I started clapping my hands and singing. Then everybody stood up and started clapping their hands and singing, and it was just marvelous. Then at a certain point, the pastor put his hands out, got it quiet, they sat down, and I started preaching. Well, that kind of shocked me a little bit, he said. When he sat down next to the pastor, he said, you didn't tell me that was going to happen. He said, well, I, I didn't plan it. Then why do you, did you do it, Craddock asked. He said, well, when you stood up there, one of my associates leaned over to me and said, that boy's going to need some help. Reflecting on the gospel about baptism, the baptism of Jesus Christ, Craddock wrote this. I can just see God and the Spirit peering down from heaven onto John the Baptist Revival Center and Riverfront Tabernacle down by the Jordan. Here comes Jesus, determined to get started on his mission, and the Spirit turns to God and says, that boy's going to need some help. <laughs> and God thinks about it for a few minutes, looks over the horizon and into the future and sees the trials and tribulations that are before Jesus and nods sadly and says, I believe you're right. That boy is going to need some help. And then a slow smile creeps across God's face, and God says, And guess what, Spirit? You're it. 
Well, by letting, getting in line with us for baptism, Jesus is showing us that we can come on in, the water's fine, and that God, Jesus knows. Jesus knows that we're going to need some help. When we hear the story of Jesus' baptism, a day when the heavens opened and the dove descended and a voice from God said, spoke, then there is no question that God has broken into human history and in a profound and significant way. According to our gospel reading this morning, the baptism of every child of God finds its meaning in the baptism of Jesus. For Jesus and for us, the evidence of baptism is found in the way we live our lives. Now listen. This is not just about Christians. Every child is a divine child of God. Every child. And for those of us who follow in the Christian way, this is our way of coming to God in a mystical moment, coming to God and acknowledging God and recognizing God's belovedness and our belovedness. But all baptized or not, are part of God's realm and part of God's family. I need to make that clear. <laughs> For us, as Christians, evidence of baptism is found in the way we live our lives. And baptism should guide the way we live. Whether when, whenever I baptize someone or ask people to remember their baptisms, as we will do shortly, I remember that their lives, our lives, matter to God. And all heaven waits to see on tiptoes how they and we will speak and live now that the water has dried. The good news is that God knows we are God's children. We're going to need some help. Thanks be to God. Amen.